This morning in our scripture reading, we're going to read from a number of places. First, two passages from the Psalms, and then two from the book of Hebrews. We'll begin with Psalm 92. Psalm 92, verses 1 through 6. Psalm 92, take notice of the superscription that is at the head of this psalm, a psalm or song for the Sabbath day. Some of the psalms have superscriptions inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's different from the people who produce your Bibles and then sometimes put a a summary of the passage on top, but there are certain psalms that have superscriptions that are inspired by the Spirit, and this is one of them. A psalm or song for the Sabbath day. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. Upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery, upon the harp with a solemn sound, for thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. And then turn with me to Psalm 122. Psalm 122. This is a psalm of David. We'll we'll read the first five verses here. Psalm 122. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together, whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Now let's turn to the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2, verses 11 and 12. Hebrews 2, 11 and 12. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And then Hebrews 10, verses 22 through 25. Hebrews 10. Twenty-two through twenty-five. Hebrews ten verse twenty-two. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another 
to provoke unto love and to good works. And now stop just a second before we read the next verse. Notice 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Verse 24, let us consider to provoke one another to love and to good works. And now verse 25 is going to give the how. How do we do those things? Let us, let us, let us. And how do we? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. On the basis of those passages and others, there's an aspect of the Lord's Day that we haven't considered yet. Lord's Day 38, as it expounds the fourth commandment to us for the last time this round through. Lord's Day 38, page 22 in the back of your Psalter. What doth God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained, and that I, especially on the Sabbath, that is, on the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God to hear His word, to use the sacraments, publicly to call upon the Lord, and contribute to the relief of the poor as becomes a Christian. Secondly, that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works and yield myself to the Lord to work by His Holy Spirit in me and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. (coughs) Beloved of God, we've had four sermons following Lord's Day 38 to this point. The first was on the first part of the fourth commandment that calls us to labor six days. The second was on the positive aspect of the call to observe the Sabbath, to enter into the rest. The fountain has been opened up on the Sabbath day and to drink from that fountain and receive spiritual rest primarily on this day. Third, we focused on that one word, Sabbath, and pulled the curtain back on that one word and saw that the Scriptures teach that Sunday, the Lord's Day, is the Sabbath day for the New Testament. The fourth commandment is still in effect. There is a Sabbath rest remaining for the people of God, Hebrews 4 says. There's not nine commandments now in the New Testament. There are still ten commandments. The day has changed, but the command stands. And then fourth, last time, we saw that the Lord Jesus Himself upholds the fourth commandment in His teaching, in His ministry. He pulls back a lot of the man-made rules that the Pharisees had added to the fourth commandment, but He upholds the fourth commandment itself. And He calls this day still the Sabbath day and says all the way, till I come again, there will be a Sabbath day. Now, this morning, I would like to delve into the explanation that the fourth commandment of the fourth commandment that the Reformed faith makes when it calls us to diligently frequent the church of God on the Sabbath day. That I, 
you just confessed, especially on the Sabbath, that is the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God. I may frequent the church of God on other days of the week, but especially on the Sabbath because of the fourth commandment, because it is the day of rest. I must come. I am commanded. I am commanded to go somewhere, to attend something, and to do that frequently. I am to frequent the church of God on the Sabbath day. That's more than once. I am to frequent, not on successive Sabbath days, although that too, but on the Sabbath, I am to frequent the church of Jehovah God. There's a danger that we do things without knowing why we ever started doing them in the first place or why we continue to do them. But if we don't know why we do them or continue to do them, eventually somebody's going to ask the question, why are we doing this? And if nobody can answer the question, why are we doing this, capably and convincingly, eventually somebody's going to say, well, I don't really feel like doing this all that much, and if nobody can give me a good reason why we're doing it, then maybe I can stop doing it. It doesn't matter. I would assume that most, if not everyone here, has the discipline of brushing their teeth morning and evening. If nobody knew why, no dentists, no doctors, nobody knew why we brush our teeth morning and evening. Eventually, somebody is going to ask the question, why are we doing this? Why are we brushing our teeth morning and evening? And if nobody could give a convincing answer to that question, then eventually somebody is going to say, well, I don't feel like brushing my teeth morning and evening. And if there's no reason why we're doing it, I'm going to stop doing it. Well, so too with spiritual disciplines in the Christian life. And there are plenty who are stopping doing this. I don't think it would be a great shock to you to know that especially the second service, the evening service, is being lost in American Christianity. Even in Reformed churches, there was a survey that was recently done in, a, in just one Reformed denomination. It was a denomination that a couple generations back had 100% or nearly 100% attendance to the second service on the Lord's Day. One of the questions of this survey was, do you attend the second service? 13% in the survey, 13% said yes, we attend the second service. The rest said no. In fact, 60% said we don't even have a second service anymore. When just one or two generations before, that was nearly 100%. So quickly it can be lost. That's the point. I don't take any delight in saying that, but that's the point. We can be lost in this too ourselves. This must be preached. We have to understand why we're doing what we're doing. But knowing it with our head is not enough either, is it? It has to be known in our heart. And that's where we want to end up this morning. Where is your heart 
and where is my heart with respect to meeting with our God in Jesus Christ on the day that He has set aside for this? Do we want less of this on His day? May heart and mind come together this morning as we take up the theme, diligently frequenting the house of God. Notice first, assembling together. Second, let's ask the question twice on the Lord's Day. And third, let's see and be encouraged to do this with great gladness. Diligently frequenting the house of God. Assembling together twice on the Lord's Day and with great gladness. The head of our catechism tells us that the fourth commandment is calling us to attend something on the Lord's Day, to physically go somewhere, to leave our homes, and to make a physical presence and attendance at something, to diligently frequent something, is to go to that thing, to attend it. If someone said, I frequent this restaurant on Saturdays, they would mean by that, I repeatedly go here on Saturdays. So too here. What the Catechism tells us we are to frequent diligently on the Sabbath day is the church. And then explains what it means by frequenting the church of God by giving us the elements of worship. We are to frequent the church to participate in the worship services of the church on the Sabbath day where we hear the word, use the sacraments, publicly call upon the name of the Lord, contribute to the relief of the poor as becomes a Christian. It's telling us that to keep the Lord's day holy, we are to attend, to participate, to physically go to the public corporate worship services of the church. Now, already in the Old Testament, this emphasis on physically gathering together, on assembling together for unified corporate worship of the body of Jesus Christ is found. Already in Leviticus chapter 23, which commands that the people of God gather and says when you gather on the days that you're supposed to gather, you become a certain kind of a body. You become a holy convocation. God meets with you and He really orders you as a body before His face so that you're no longer just individuals, but you are a convocation. You are a congregation, an assembly that has come before Him. Psalm 122 that we read this morning, the psalmist says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. He knew he was bidden to go somewhere, to go to an event. There is something happening. And with his feet, he was going to physically stand there in Jerusalem, not in his own house, but there. And all the people were going to gather together there for this worship service before God. Psalm 95 which we didn't read, but was our call to worship this morning, reflects that corporate nature of the gathered 
people of God in the worship services. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence. Oh, come, let us worship. There's an us-ness to what happens on the Sabbath day. A coming to physically be a part of an assembly, a body. This is something we're doing together. In the New Testament, we find this same emphasis. The synagogue worship that Jesus attended on Sabbath day was just this. It was congregational worship. It was physically coming together to gather together. In fact, the word synagogue itself means assembly. They became an assembly. And it's actually the same Old Testament word, holy convocation, Leviticus 23, that important word that's now being used in the New Testament as this assembly, this synagogue gathered for worship. And what was the example of the Lord Jesus? Jesus Himself went to public worship services. He attended. He left the place where He was and He went there to gather with the people as was His custom, Luke 4. What was the example of the church in the days of the apostles in the book of Acts? And even beginning after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The saints are gathered in the upper room for worship. And Jesus appears right there in their assembly, honoring that, that they are assembled together in that upper room for worship and saying, I am with you when you gather together in worship. Keep going into the book of Acts. Acts 2, verse 42, the saints are gathered together on the Sabbath, continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And then all through the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul and others are preaching in church services where the people are assembled, physically gathered together for worship services. We read in Hebrews 10, verse 25 this morning, which speaks of not forsaking what? Of not forsaking the assembling, there's that word again, the assembling of yourselves together for worship. Coming together as a body, being constituted something different from what you are as an individual, but as a congregation, a holy convocation, assembly before Jehovah God, worshiping together. And that very text shows that already then they had to deal with problems of people who were neglecting the regular worship services. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Fundamental to Sabbath day worship is that it is a physical gathering of saints who belong to a local congregation under the headship of elders over that local congregation who are called out and called to come together on this day to manifest publicly that they are this body of Jesus Christ, to worship their God, to hear His Word. Fundamental to keeping the fourth commandment then is that I physically gather. I physically go to that assembly. 
and I worship God with the saints and am a part of that holy convocation. There is a danger, beloved. With the advance of technology, which is a good thing, is a wonderful thing, but there's a danger that we start to think that just watching the assembly on live stream at home is really no different than physically gathering with the saints in this assembly on the Lord's Day. I know live stream is a wonderful thing. It is. I'm very thankful for it myself. My daughter is at home right now watching on it. She's sick and cannot attend. I praise the Lord for that. But there's a reason why your spare tire is your backup tire. It's not your main tire on your car. It's your backup. It's a good backup. But it doesn't become the main tire. It wasn't fit for that. It wasn't made for that. So to this. There are good and right reasons, of course, why someone would stay home for sickness, for frailty of the body in old age, things like this. And every legitimate reason comes down to this. That Jehovah God Himself in His providence that is unfolded upon my life has Himself prevented me from gathering with the saints. I have not prevented myself. I have not willingly kept myself, but God has kept me from assembling with the saints. I want to go, but He has stopped me. That's different from I could go, but I have willed not to. I don't want to. But God has physically kept me by His providential outworking in my life. Then this spare tire will get me along for the time that's needed. But it's not to be viewed as the regular tire, as the main thing in any child of God with a degree of spiritual maturity, knows that and even feels that. There's something different about assembly. This is why he calls us to join together to worship. It's not the same. There are elderly saints and others who legitimately cannot come and who would give a kidney to be able to come to heed this call, to gather together physically and assemble with the saints. And let me speak directly to them through the camera this morning and say to them, I know, dear ones, that you want to be here. And we know that you want to be here gathered with us. And that you're prevented by God's providence in your life, by old age, other things that he puts into your life. And we miss you. And we know that you miss us. And we're thankful that this spare tire is there for you at this point in your life, that you can see us, that you can participate as you're able in this way. And we want to stay connected with you this way and in other ways. And it hurts us as it hurts you, we know that you can't be with us, but we love you and we are one body yet with you.
And yet there are others who are able to come, but who stay at home due to laziness and due to their own spiritual immaturity or whatever else it is. And who maybe don't even watch on the screen, but others who watch on the screen who could be there. It's a spiritual poverty in your life, if that's true of you. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Forsake not the gathering, the coming physically to be here, to be constituted by God Himself as a congregation before His face, as a body, a holy convocation. That's different from wanting to go, but God has stopped me legitimately so. There's no guilt for that. None. Don't feel guilty for that. But if I can legitimately come, and I can't say that God Himself is in His providence preventing me, then I must know and must not fool myself. I am forsaking the assembling of myself with the saints of God. The main reason why God wants us to assemble, calls us to assemble together in worship on the Sabbath day is because in these gatherings, He is going to give us a unique taste, a unique aspect of the covenant of grace. He's going to meet with His people in a unique way, in a way that He doesn't on our own individually. He's going to give them to know His covenant in a way that we don't, even in our own personal devotions or in our worship as a family, but in a way that can only be known as a body assembled before His face. These assemblies are covenantal assemblies. We're called together by the God of the covenant Himself to come and meet with Him in covenant love. God Himself calls us to assemble before Him, as it were, face to face. The body in this place as children of His and their God. Psalm 100, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before... This is a call to worship, of course. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. And the most literal translation of that would be, come before His face. Come gather face to face with Him. That's what worship is. That's what this assembly is. Meeting face to face with Jehovah God. That was reflected already in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle worship, in the temple worship. Why was that tabernacle called the tent of meeting? It's for this very reason. This is where there was the meeting of God and His people when they were called to worship. God would come down in the pillar of cloud and the people would come and gather around And he would meet with his people, as it were, face to face. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. Where the psalmist cries out, As the heart panteth after water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The psalmist in this psalm is being held back by God's providence from being able to gather, to come physically into the assemblies of the saints for worship on the Sabbath day. And you read that psalm, and the man is in depression about it. 
when can I come and appear before God with the people of God in worship? Because that's what it is. I appear before His face with the assembled saints. He comes to us in a unique way and shows His face here, opens a fountain to us. But in the New Testament, that whole idea is lifted up to a higher plane and becomes even more rich. Because instead of meeting with God specifically in the temple or in the tabernacle, now Jesus says, where believers come together, constituted a real assembly before God in my name, I am with you. I come. Jesus Himself to be present with you in word and in spirit. In the worship of the assembly, no matter how small or large, there is a unique presence of Jesus Christ by word and spirit. Look at the astounding teaching. Did you catch that when we read Hebrews 2, 11 and 2? For both he that sanctifieth, Christ, that's Christ, and they who are sanctified, that's us, are of one. For which cause he, Christ, is not ashamed to call them, us, brethren, saying, I, Christ, will declare thy name, God, in the midst of the church, us. Will I sing praise, I, Christ, sing praise in the midst of the church to thee, God. That Christ himself is present when we are assembled together, constituted under elders in his name. He is present with us in this unique way that as it were, he sings to his own God and Father through the unified voice of the congregation in the midst of the church. Will I sing praise to thee, O God? Here's Calvin. After the covenant of grace has flowed to us, let us know and be fully persuaded that wherever the faithful who worship Him purely and in due form according to the appointment of His Word are assembled together to engage in the solemn acts of religious worship, He is graciously present and presides in the midst of them. We need to be a part of this every time. We are impoverished spiritually without this. We need Him, we need this Christ, and we need Him together in this way. Christianity is not individualism. His covenant is not just with me by myself or even with me and my family, but with the body of Jesus Christ, and I am part of this body. And He calls us to come one day a week to assemble as a body in a local place before His face, and we need it as all of His commands are for the good of His people. So this one too, this is for our good, for our benefit. This is the family meeting where He brings His face low and makes us His face close to our face in this unique way. This is our rest. This is where the fountain is opened up. This is our refreshment. Here He lavishes grace upon grace upon us. Here He chooses to house the chief means of grace Pour His graces here. Do we need less of this in our lives? 
So that if we really understand this, beloved, in some ways, the answer to the question that is the second point of the sermon isn't really needed. In some ways, the question doesn't even really need to be asked. Who wouldn't want a double portion of this? Nonetheless, it is worth the investigation. Is there any biblical warrant for having two services on the Lord's Day? Any biblical warrant for the catechism to bid us to frequent the church of God on each Sabbath day? There's not a chapter and verse and a command that says, Thou shalt come to church twice on Sunday. But there is a biblical pattern. And the church has always taken some warrant for that, from that, to continue following the biblical pattern. It's a pattern that begins already in the Old Testament of morning and evening worship that was there throughout the Old Testament. Numbers 28, verse 4, we learn that they had two worship services. Actually, two every day, but then in a unique way on the Sabbath day. Numbers 28, verse 4, the one lamb shalt thou offer in the morning, and the other lamb shalt thou offer at even. And they did that every day, and some people came to the temple morning and evening, or morning and evening throughout the week. But then on the Sabbath day, there was a unique worship to which everyone was called to come. And of course, because nobody's working on that day, they came in mass. Verse 9 of Numbers 28 tells us that there was a double offering in the morning and a double offering in the evening on the Sabbath day. Two sacrifices in the morning and two sacrifices in the evening. And the people would come and the Levites would open the word and they would explain the word to the people and the people would sing the psalms as they assembled together morning and evening on the Sabbath. You can see that pattern of morning and evening worship on the Sabbath day reflected in Psalm 92, which we read this morning. Remember, that's the psalm that has that superscription, an inspired superscription, a psalm or song for the Sabbath day. And even though all the psalms don't have inspired superscriptions, when you know what this psalm is about, you can see why God decided to inspire one for this psalm, a psalm or song for the Sabbath. It's specifically for and about Sabbath day worship. And it says in verses 1 and 2, it's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises to thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. And obviously it's talking about the worship services. On the Sabbath, it's a psalm or song for the Sabbath day, Sabbath morning and Sabbath night. The psalmist attended and just expected. This is normal. God's people are going to plan to attend the morning and the evening and offer worship to Jehovah God. Further, in Psalm 141, verse 2, there's mention specifically of the second service. Psalm 141, verse 2, 
Let my prayer be set before Thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And again in Psalm 134, verse 1, Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. At the time of Ezra, when the Israelites returned from the captivity to Babylon, we read in Ezra 3, verse 3, that after they returned, they built the altar, and then they held morning and evening worship services. Ezra 3, verse 3, And they set the altar upon his bases, for fear was upon them, and they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings, morning and evening. Moving into the New Testament, we know from Jewish commentaries that the synagogue at the time of Jesus had both morning and evening worship services, and sometimes one at noon too. And given the fact that Jesus attended the synagogue regularly, it's safe, likely to assume he attended morning and evening. And this same Jesus, who arose on Sunday, changing the Sabbath day from Saturday to Sunday, and who, as we saw, appeared on Sunday to communicate that he had changed the Sabbath day from Saturday to Sunday, also appeared morning and evening on Sunday. You know that he appeared in morning, but now look, John 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. After Jesus' resurrection, the believers met in the temple in Jerusalem for a time to worship because they didn't have their own place to gather together. In Acts 3, we observe them going up to a second or an evening worship service. Acts 3, verse 1, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. That was the second or evening worship service. When Paul is in Troas, and he preaches there till midnight, you remember, and Eutychus falls out the window and he dies, and Paul raises him from the dead, more than likely what we are observing there is the second evening worship service. Given what we have said already and the fact that Paul is preaching till midnight, it's probably the evening service. It doesn't say it explicitly, but likely so. And so it's been the practice of the church to hold worship services morning and evening, two worship services since the time of the apostles. Eusebius, the church church historian writing in the early 300s, said this about early church worship. Quote, For it is surely no small sign of God's power that throughout the whole world in the churches of God, at the morning rising of the sun, And at the evening hours, praises and duly divine delights are offered to God. God's delights are indeed sent up everywhere on earth in His church at the times of morning and evening. This continued in the Middle Ages. Morning worship was called matins and evening worship was called vespers. It continued in the Reformation, two services, sometimes three on Sunday. And most people are not aware 
that the great Synod of Dort faced this issue too and said that the second service must not be neglected. So important was it to the Synod of Dort, not only did they make decisions that produced the creed, the canons of Dort, they made decisions saying that, the sa- that Sunday is the New Testament Sabbath day, but then they added this too, that the second service must not be neglected. And they even said, if the only ones who attend are the minister and his wife and his children, you still have a second service. And even if none of that, beloved, was there, and it all is there, and it's convincing, but even if none of that was there, would not the very fact that the Scriptures tell us that the Sabbath day is an entire day, not just a morning, be enough to lead us to do this anyway? Ask anyone who comes from a background where they've had one service on Sunday, and they'll say, I never really kept the whole day until I came to two services. We'd go in the morning, and then the rest of the day was just a regular day or like a Saturday. This is like bookends to the day that keeps the whole day what it is, morning and evening worship, keeping the day holy to the Lord. Because of all this, beloved elders of the church, call us to keep the fourth commandment by assembling together on the Lord's day, morning and evening, to hear the word, to use the sacraments, publicly to call upon the name of the Lord, to contribute to the relief of the poor as becomes a Christian, and to do less, except when legitimately prevented, is also then a dishonoring of the fifth commandment and rebellion of heart. But what's in your heart? And what's in mine? What's in your heart when they call us to come and to worship? I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad. I rejoiced with exultant joy, is the word, when they said to me, come on, let's gather, let's assemble together before the face of Jehovah God. When who said it to you, David? When who called you? When the priests and the Levites called him, when the elders of the people called the psalmist to gather, when on the basis of the fourth commandment, they said, come, assemble, and worship Jehovah God. Gather before his face. He will condescend to us in a unique way. When his brothers and sisters around him said it, whether verbally or simply by their example, when his family said it to him, when his friends said it to him, when simply because it was the tradition, the tradition itself called out to him, come, 
Let us worship. Let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad. Is that you, child of God? Is that me? When the elders call you to come and assemble before his face, and you have the distinct privilege of not doing this once, but of of coming twice to this august assembly. When you hear others call you, let us go to the house of the Lord together whether it's a family member that's holding you accountable or another church member or a friend saying, come on, let us go. Let's assemble together. Are you glad? I was glad when they said it to me. I need that. When you see the cars pull up in the parking lot, they're saying to you, let us come to the house of the Lord Make no mistake about that, child of God. When you get out in the morning and leave your house and get into your car and you enter into this parking lot and walk into this building, you are saying this to everyone else. Come on, let's come without using words. Just by your example, you're saying it. You're saying it to the children. You're saying it to the young people. And conversely, when we hold ourselves back and forsake the assembling together illegitimately, we're saying, don't come. It's not worth it. And I can think of ten other things that are better than coming. Football's better. Sleep is better. Whatever else is better. Come. And the joy of each other calling each other by our example to let us go to the house of the Lord. I'm glad, and each one is glad when they see the cars pull in and hear each one saying as it comes into the driveway, let's go together, let's assemble before the face of God and the house of the Lord. Why would the psalmist be so glad To hear his brothers and sisters around him calling them to assemble. Well, he tells us, he tells us in the Psalms that he's written. And the scriptures tell us in the other passages that we read this morning too. Seven things this morning. Number one, we're glad because before his face I have fellowship with Jehovah God. Psalm 122 verse 4. Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel. He's talking about God Himself as the testimony of Israel, the covenant of Israel. He is the covenant. I'm going up to have the covenant in this unique way that I don't have it by myself. To have fellowship with my God, to come close to Him in love and in communion. Is it in the same depth all the time? Is it the same experience all the time? No, neither is your own personal devotions. But for this, I was glad. And this is the pattern of my life. When they call me, I come before the face of Jehovah God. Two, I was glad to express my gratitude to this God. Psalm 122, verse 4. David says, I was glad to go whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel. 
to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. Thanks, God. I have to express my thanks to this God. How can I just carry on and not publicly gather with the others who want to express their thanks and tell Him, thanks, Lord, for being my Father. Thanks for redeeming a wretch like me drawing me into your family and into your covenant. Thanks for the life that thou hast given to me, for the blessings that overflow my cup. I need to express that. I want to. Third, to have fellowship with others of like precious faith. I was glad for verse 3. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. Here I meet with fellow saints. Here I worship them with them. Here I hear the voice of God from them through His Word, together not by myself alone. Here I speak to them in the Psalms and exhort them and encourage them as they hear me sing. And they do the same to me. There's a fellowship here. Here we provoke each other to love and to good works. Hebrews 10, 4. I was glad because here I come and meditate on God's mighty works in a unique way and extol those works to the glory of His name in a unique way. Psalm 92, verse 5, where the psalmist says, O Lord, how great are Thy works! Thy thoughts are very deep. God's mighty works, His deeds are expounded from this pulpit to show forth His glory, who He is and what He's done, and the people of God together. Exalt the name of this Jehovah God. I want to see Your works, Jehovah, and see how mighty You really are throw through the weakness of the preacher, only one crumb falls to me. Even that will be enough to fill my heart. To exalt thy majestic name, all thy works are so mighty. Five. Glad because I come to hear him express his claim upon me and upon my life, which I need. Verse 5, Psalm 122, for there are set thrones of judgment. I come and He claims me. And He says, I've redeemed you, my child. I've made you mine own. I've brought you out of the house of bondage into the house of my own family. And now I sift through your life here too and call you, to be mine in this area of your life, in this area as He lays His claim upon me and takes me in my time and in my talents and my treasure unto Himself. And I need that. Six. I come and I'm glad that they call me. That I might be fastened to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Hebrews 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith, nothing wavering. And remember all the let us, let us, let us. How? How do I hold fast to the faith? Nothing wavering. By forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together. In this, there is a fastening of us to the whole counsel of God. What I am tempted to let go of if I'm left to myself, that He binds me the faith. Finally, seven, 
I was glad, says the psalmist. And we, an even bolder type in the New Testament, for one word, Jesus. Jesus is there in a unique way in the worship of the church. For there are set thrones of judgment, Psalm 122, 5, the thrones of the house of David. The king from David's line is there. He's promised to meet with his people there, to speak to them in his word, to grant them the rich measures of his grace. A Jesus who was crucified for me precisely at the third hour, the hour of the morning worship service. It's Jesus who died on that cross, crying out, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. At the ninth hour, precisely at the moment of the evening worship service, thereby showing that this lies at the heart of morning and evening worship. Him and his cross, that's there. And I need him. I need to tell him that I'm sorry for what I've done in sin against him. I was wrong, Lord Jesus. I was wrong, and I'm sorry, and I I love you. And I need to hear him say, I went to hell for that, my repentant child, and I rose again to prove it. And I claim you as mine in all of your life, and I will be with you. Serve me now. I'm with you to the end of the world. I have him here. That's why I'm glad. And that's why we say together, our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. God grant it. Amen. Father, bless thy word to our hearing and strengthen our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.